Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to Swarfcast. Before we start, we have a quick favor to ask you. If you love the show, please rate it and write a review on your podcast app or tell somebody about it. It really makes a difference for us and we'd appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. What happens on the shop floor daily determines how profitable a company is. You know, you've got two aspects. Are your jobs running and how much money are you spending? This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. Today's podcast is part two of an interview we did with Wes Spendowski, plant manager at Wyandotte Industries, a 60-year-old screw machine shop in Wyandotte, Michigan, founded by his grandfather. Wes told me about his aspirations to keep Wyandotte relevant for the next 40 years. He also discussed the fatal traps a machining company can fall into if it's not careful. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. All right, let's let's talk about somebody who who really does think in dollars and cents. And I know that you have some automotive customers, and these guys are uh, just cutthroat, right? Tell us a little bit who who these customers are, and and I know you've talked about it in the past, like how you deal with them and Japanese versus American, and I, I'd like a little light shed on that. You know, our philosophy, our philosophy here as a business, is once a customer gets to a point where they have cut the profit out of a job, or you know, it's it's just nothing left. You know what? We just let it go. Who in particular are you um, are you talking about? Like an automotive company might do that, or oh yeah, yeah, the automotive customers for sure are, are the most uh, you know cutthroat. Um, they believe it or not, they expect more than anybody. I mean, from what I've seen, mm-hmm. I believe you. That's what I've heard. We we as a business, you know, we make a bit. We all of us businesses, we make a business decisions as to. Who, who, who are we? You know, who do we want to be? We don't want to be that job shop that's making million piece orders. We're not really competitive on million piece orders. I mean, we're not. We don't have million piece orders. If we uh, so what? What? How many piece orders are you? Do you? Do you? What's your sweet spot? I think our sweet spot might be you know in, in that fifteen to twenty thousand type range. Mm-hmm. And getting out jobs getting out jobs quickly to customers. So we're pretty responsive with our customers. They come to us and we can get something out quick to them. We don't want to be 
this job shop where we're dedicated to making the same thing year round. Uh huh. Are you tier? Are you tier two? Oh yeah, most certainly. If not, if not tier three. Like I said, when it comes to automotive, the majority of our work, you know, is aftermarket through distri- distributors. Okay. We're not, uh, rarely are we dealing with, uh, it's been many years since we dealt with one of like the big three automakers. Right, because I remember you telling me one time, I, I'm pretty sure I remember you saying, you know, comparing working with the big three versus working with the Japanese car makers, etc. Do you remember something like that? Well, you know, I, from what I can recall, from... And we have shipped parts to Japan. From what I can recall, um, those parts that we were making, they were uh, they weren't beating us up so bad. The Japanese. I'd heard from some other companies. You know how you think they're a lot easier, right? Uh, you know they they're more interested in a long term relationship. Yeah. Want customers, or I mean, I'm sorry, they want suppliers that are good at making their product. You know, because they want their car to be reliable so when though when your suppliers are good at making a product the longer a supplier makes product the better they become at making product the american automakers they also have that philosophy except the better you become at making our product we want all, all your cost savings from becoming better at making the product mm-hmm. problem with that is you can't reinvest in a, in a new processes new machineries you know we're we're in this business to make a profit we're in this business to figure out how to survive long term. And um, if we can't survive long term, then uh, there's no future in having that customer as a customer. Let somebody else uh, fight tooth and nail to, to keep that work. Are you uh, the person that negotiates uh, with these customers? No, <laughs> I, 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 thank God. But um, I, uh, I've heard quite a bit from you know, the people who do over mm-hmm. the years, you know, of what their philosophy is. And I tell you what, it's it's been a solid philosophy. It's allowed us to be a shop that is, we've survived, not we've survived, we've been a profitable company. You know, I have to give, uh, I give our front office more credit than I do our machine shop itself uh, for our success. Uh, their philosophy. Eh, it's probably you just being modest. Oh, no, no. They, their philosophy of how they're going to pick customers, what customers they want, the type of customers they want, what they do. Hey, you know, that that has gave this business a chance at survival. We absolutely have to be out in the shop. We have to be figuring out how are we going to survive. But I think our front office is um, cautious. Yeah. And we as a shop are cautious, too. So we are like, hey, you know. We're not full speed ahead in any particular direction. We might be moving cautiously and slowly in a certain direction, but we're careful. Like the concept of going out there and buying a million dollar machine, that is not a, that's probably not something that this shop's ever going to do. I'm not saying that you can't be successful doing that. There are shops out there that are successful doing that. Can you, but can you survive with Acme's for the next uh, two decades? Are you guys going to have to upgrade? I don't think so. I don't think you can. So what are you, what, what, what is the, what's the game plan as far as your, your machines? 
you know, if the worker aspect wasn't an issue, I think you could not only survive, I think you could thrive. With acmes. Absolutely, because acmes are fast, they are reliable, they have a low maintenance cost, they have a low cost to rebuild. Um, they are quite a machine. I, I, I think that if you still have acmes 20 years from now, um, and you know how to use them, you're going to be a profitable company mm -hmm. because of just how good you have to really have other machines to really have an appreciation for what a bargain that is. It is a bargain, but like I said, you have a younger generation that they, um, they're geared differently. They are not backyard mechanics. Okay. They want to plug a computer into something that tells them what needs to be fixed. Yeah. It's simple. Fixing it is simple. They're not going to tear into a greasy, dirty machine and tear <laughs> shafts out and, and, get, and get up to their elbows in grease doing that. Uh, they're not to say that you aren't going to find guys. You will it's not find our guys. culture. We don't live yeah. in a we don't live in a fix it culture. We live in a your iPhone breaks, go and get a new one. Yeah. Yeah. As a shop, I mean, we have to evolve towards, I mean, I, I see us right now, we're a shop that, hey, you know, we can meet this, we can, we've got a gap, you know, what's our gap? Our gap would probably be that five to 10,000 piece quantity of sophisticated parts that you can do fairly quickly that maybe your, your CNC lathe um, is not suited for because it's not fast enough here. Your mm -hmm. live tooling CNC lathe will not be fast enough to compete there. And your your screw machine, um, you know, you can't justify the tooling cost of getting your screw machine going and having, you know, multiple second ops. But you have no you have no plans to buy that type of equipment to oh, handle I that. I absolutely do. Oh, absolutely. you do. Oh yeah, because such a machine, you know. So you're, like like a twin turret type thing or twin spindle a machine that i'm really looking hard at mm -hmm. yeah tell me so we can go a find machine it that I see out there that i'm looking hard at that I'm, I'm i'm thinking about that i'm probably gonna migrate to that i see other shops migrating to and, and and there's a few variations of this machine out there so maybe not this particular machine but it's called a lyco and what oh, it the is lyco okay yeah i like this machine i like the concept of it it's like a brown and sharp the way it's it, it's a brown and sharp that can do a lot of a lot more sophisticated parts. You're going to have a quicker setup time on it. You're going to have that speed advantage over your CNC lathe type machine. I, I I like I like it. It's very well suited. It might be a machine that you can attract these young people because it's an impressive machine. So that's a machine that sort of falls. How into many axes is a Lyco? Um, it's a, it's just a two axis machine, right. you, you know, you've got two axis, uh, slides and, and you've got a turret like a brown and sharp, but you have that live tooling. So you, you, you'd rather go that route than go like Swiss or. Yeah. 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 I like the cost. Get I mean, more that, for your money. I think that cost, I mean, I'm looking at that cost and okay, we go out there, we're a shop that, you know what, we can go out, we can justify buying a machine for say. And you'd buy it new? Yeah, oh yeah. And we can justify buying a machine from two fifty to three fifty won't put our company out of business. You know, it, it's 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 an amount of money that, that won't hurt our business. Mm -hmm. Where 
some of these other machines, while they're super impressive, they're super quick, they do some awesome stuff. What's a machine like? What, what, what's an example of one of those machines that's, well, that you, you just don't, it's, it's not on your... Uh... And in fairness, in fairness, you know, in fairness to those machines, because it's like, I'm not speaking out against those machines. I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to like, I don't want to bash those guys because these guys have impressive machines that do impressive things. And if your business has the customers, yeah, then you could be in the market for a machine like that. So what if cost, if, if cost wasn't an issue, what machine would you go for? Boy, um, or you don't even think like that. You know, I tell you, I used to think like that, but I kind of stopped thinking like that. I mean, you look at like those hydromats and, and the rotary trunnion machines. Wow. A CNC hydromat? Yeah, that'll run you. The hydromat, uh, that Buffoli rotary trunnion. I mean, boy, what a. I mean, hey, you know what? If you're sitting there and you're making 15 million of something a year and you've got a decent part and you're locked in at that, you know, a hey, for what we have here, we're never going to compete with that, you know, but that's not really our way of thinking. Our way of thinking is we're looking at this machine and that machine's millions of dollars. And how many machines can we buy for that kind of money? You know, we have to be cautious. You know, our, our little company here, we've managed to survive for, um, you know, since 1959 by thinking how we think. I think that's the thing that's really been drilled. Because you normally don't hear people say, uh, we survive by being cautious. Yeah. So there must be something you're doing that isn't cautious. It sounds like you're 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 conscious of things, but but cautious. I mean, if you just say you you haven't stayed doing the same thing over and over well, again, we're, we're moving in a certain direction. You know, it, it it we're slowly migrating in a certain direction. So you take like that Lyco machine. Hey, that's a machine where. You could develop a customer base, mm -hmm. you know, that that's competitive for machines like that. If you develop a customer base for machines like that, um, you might find yourself in that position where that next step up, that machine that it can do everything a Lyco does, but it can do it much, much faster, like that rotary trunnion or or that hydromat. You know, all of a sudden you may. If you're looking for a good deal on one. You know, you should let us know. We. <laughs> certainly will because that's definitely a route that i would take but you know the thing is is normally what i do noah is usually for my first machine i will buy it like off of i will buy it from you know brand new from a company that way i get support yeah i get training you know they really give you the runaround they do a good job of helping you get established once you're established and you know that machine you know, then you've got options, you know, yeah, then you can, yeah. things, you can go out there and you can find machines on that used market. And I, I take full advantage of no, that. We can sell you a CNC hydromat for a really good deal. I mean. And that's a machine. That's a machine where, like I said, if you're familiar with it, you know how just to letting operate. You know, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of, I'm thinking from the aspect of, okay, you know, you, you grow your market and your customer base for this type of part and you have a customer you get to know well or whatever and you're used to doing a lot of work for them and you see this work growing you know hey we didn't start with cncs you know our first cnc was a cheap machine okay i bought it for forty thousand dollars out of new jersey that was our first machine now that one and I you didn't only buy. spent two hundred dollars to go get it 
Yeah. Might I add? I mean, I did not buy brand new. Why didn't I buy it brand new? Because I felt pretty confident. A two-axis lathe, I could figure it out. Um, now, what did we do like for live tooling? And when I went about live tooling, Mazak, well, I did buy that brand new because we wanted the support that came yeah. along with that machine. Yeah. And that was a pretty good thing to get the support. So we went that route. Listeners, do you have an idea for a future episode of Swarfcast? Or is your company interested in advertising on the Swarfcast podcast? If so, please send us an email at swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. That's swarfcastpodcast at gmail.com. The market grew. All of a sudden, we had this we had this two-axis lathe. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, two years goes by, and, and we find ourselves needing a live, a live tooling machine. So we had a couple of, of just two-axis, non-live tooling machines. We needed a live tool machine with Y-axis. So we got a live tool machine with live axis. That market grew, you know. So we're, we're growing there in those machines. And that's what could lead a company to having, you know, uh, a hydromat or a rotary trunnion. It's not something that us as a company that I would just take that plunge on without yeah. the customer. That's not your that's not your style. Oh heck no. Gosh, I I've been to enough auctions. <laughs> I've been in that auction circuit and often what you find is you're gonna find one or two really, really expensive machines there. Okay. It's kind of like shop forensics. And what happened to this shop? You'll hear a lot of things. I've, I've always been interested, like when I go to an auction, what happened here? You know? Yeah. Heard a lot of stories. You know, the grandkids, you know, they didn't come to work. They, And here I am. I, I'm a grandkid. Um, so that was a story that, hey, it made an impact on me, you know, being younger, hearing how, when I was younger, hearing about, well, the grandkids just didn't come to work, you know? So I hear the story. They didn't come to work. They milked the company dry and the company died. Um, often when I was hearing those stories, you know, I might've saw one or two uh, machines out in that shop that were, um, really expensive machines, you know, $600,000 machine sitting there. Well, you're a little company and like us, you can't afford to have something like that fail. Yeah. If you go out and you buy a couple of these $600,000 machines and you're a 60 employee company like us, and that fails on you, your company may be in trouble. Your business may not survive. So what do you have to have? Well, I guess you have to have your grandkids got to be coming to work. That's for darn sure. You cannot be blowing it. Are your kids going uh, coming to work? Uh, I brought my daughter in to help with this tool crib. And what she did... How old are your kids? Well, my daughter, my young... My, my others are, are grown-ups, and they're they're pursuing some other stuff because this is oily machine shop. But my daughter's in high school. My youngest that lives with me. She, uh, I brought her in here over the summer and uh -huh. I gave her some tasks and she went to work and I loved it. The guys were telling me my daughter was a good worker and I was really happy to hear that because I don't mess around. You know, I don't give anything for nothing. Um, I, I, I expect something. She came in here. She needed money for things. And I said, well, you can come on into work and I'll, I'll pay eight bucks an hour. And, and this eight, is what I'm going to tell you to do. Eight bucks oh, an hour? Eight bucks an hour. Had her trained on the system. She understood the system. Picked right up on the software. She should go babysit. She make twice as much. Nah. Nah. 
not not around here. This is Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't Chicago. The houses are still cheap around here. So eight bucks an hour cash. It was eight bucks cash money. This is last summer? Uh Uh-huh. So she's 16. I got her in the tool crib. She's learning the software. She's putting things away. I was very, uh, I was very happy with her. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the big. What uh, is minimum uh, wage in Michigan? Uh, I think we're at nine forty-five right now. But that's. But oh, that's, so you, so you were breaking child labor laws and paying her less than minimum wage? No, actually, her hers is seven eighty-five. So for sixteen years old, it's seven eighty-five. So and I paid her cash. <laughs> I know. I'm just giving she you a hard paid time. Her cash. So that worked out pretty good for her. You know, I just handed her cash money. But and, and another lesson that I, I, I learned, you know, from forensic shop years of being at auctions um, is that often, you know, the grandkids don't know anything about the shop and how it runs. The founder, you know, he spent lots of time in the shop and he knew the equipment and he knew how everything worked. And nobody was going to tell him what to do out in the shop. The employees weren't going to hold them hostage, and they can do that. I heard, um, you know, that the grandkids, you know, they really didn't know the shop. So when the employees aren't doing the right thing out in the shop, when they're screwing up or they don't know what they're doing or they don't know how to get the machine running, there's nobody there in the company that knows how to get the machine running. That's a big problem, a very big problem, especially with a talent problem nowadays. Do you work with your father? Oh God, yeah. I worked. I worked with my dad back when I was a teenager. I was running a. Does he still work in the business? No, my dad died when I was eighteen. Oh, I'm sorry. You were wait. So who do you work with? Your uncle? I work with my uncle. And when I came into this business, (laughs) I got offered a part time job here because they weren't hiring full time. So I was not even for the grandchild of the founder. Nope. I was working a night shift at a plastic injection mold. I was paying my own bills. Um, my twin sister, she went off to college for engineering. Me, I just wanted to get my butt into work and do something. And I didn't know what I wanted to do really, but I wanted to take care of myself. So I went to work and I was working night shift at another place, day shift at this place, putting in about 78 hours, 78 hours a week. Wow. Paying my bills. So I got full time here when full time came up. God, back then it actually they didn't meant- want they didn't want you there just working full time. They just didn't give they didn't give me anything, you know, as far as how that went. Evidently, there, that that's how it worked. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. Um, I think the hardest part was dealing with some of the longtime supervisors. Uh, you know, I had you know there was a camp that you know hey they really liked my dad they liked my grandpa. They had a lot of loyalty to my grandfather and um, they liked me, you know, and they were good to me. And then there were some other ones that, you know, they saw me as this threat to them. So I was in that position where I could never do anything right. You know, that Mm -hmm. that was the way they operated. And, you know, I just took it. I, I did what I could. I took it. You had to prove it to them. Well, they, they weren't out to show me anything. So the, the position I was in was I had to learn everything on my own. So I just went ahead, learned everything on my own. I, I, I understood what it was. I understood that they were insecure. I wasn't out to hurt anybody. wasn't out to hurt them. wasn't out to disrespect them. Did you grow up on the shop floor, though? Oh, God, kid? yeah. Dad put me to work for 1988, summer of 88. I was 13 years old, and it was hot. 
So, I mean, you, 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 so you came in and you already had a background. I did. I, I, he did the same thing I did with my daughter. He, he wanted to make some money. I needed, I needed a bike. I was 13. So I came in here and ran a tapping machine and I was working in here in the summers, run a tapping machine at 13, 14 years old. And then I was cleaning floors. It was dirty. That's what I did. But all my friends wanted a job too. It was funny. You know, they thought it was the greatest thing, you know, being able to make money. I was being paid five bucks cash, mm-hmm. you know, back then, you know, to run machines and stuff like that. To me, you know, this is what I thought. This is what well, my idea of, hey, this is what men do. Men go to work, you know. So that was what I saw. That was my idea. Did you it. always think that you were going to work there? I was going to college. I was going to college for engineering, and that lasted right up until about 99. And I had a pull here from the company. So how many years did you go to college? I went uh, for about two and a half years mm-hmm. for industrial engineering. So first you I, worked some, and then you went to college. I was working and going to college, and I didn't know if I was going to stay here or what I was going to do. And I think as my place in the company grew, the company here, they bought another machine shop in 98. I had to go to the other machine shop and start setting up their machines. I wasn't a supervisor, so I went over there and started setting their machines up. I didn't have a supervisor there. It's kind of nice, so I could just do what I wanted to do. So what did I do? I just made everything run really good. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, I, I it was, hey, can you come to the main shop and make the main shop run that way? Man, it really, it really sounds like you have not been given anything. No, no, absolutely not. You know. Do you have any ownership of the company? Uh, at the current time, no. And I, you know what? Um, I mean, if I'm going in, getting too personal, then no, know. no, I, I, I don't ask. I don't know how I feel about that, and I don't really ask. Uh, I don't really ask for anything, and I don't really feel like I'm owed anything. I kind of feel like, hey, I've had a job. My entire life, uh, this comp- this business has treated me uh, well, mm-hmm. um, and um, there's just not a whole lot to complain to. You know, I've had people. But your father the- had ownership of the company, right? Uh, he had so much of it, but my dad had some problems, and he uh, didn't want. It's complicated. To talk about that, but okay. The business ended up in my uncle's hands, and my uncle's always been a good been a good guy to me, and. Uh, I'm thankful uh, to him. If he hadn't treated me the way he treated me, I don't know how the shop would be running today uh, because it instilled a lot of uh, responsibility. Um, When you're working for something and there is no something for nothing. Um, And then how I um, relate to our employees, you know, I understand what it's like to. To be at the bottom. or, or, Or I understand how it feels to be broke. I understand what it's like. Uh, I, I, I understand their pain. Yeah. You know? So I, I, I'm sympathetic to them. I, I want to help them. I want to see this company uh, win. I want to win for them. Most likely there probably is plans here uh, for me long term. Hey, maybe this business wants to be in business for 100 years. I guess if uh, it ends up uh, coming to that, then uh, I would uh, maybe make that. I don't know. Hey. You know, one thing about life is uh, living a long time and staying alive is about having a mission 
in life, uh, some type of a mission and who knows what, you know, for some people, maybe that's not a good mission, but I don't know, you know, I, I guess I, I have a lot of appreciation and, and I have a lot of gratitude for this business. Mm-hmm. My, my grandfather I have a lot of gratitude for the employees of this business. Uh, my uncle is still at this business. He's pushing, he's almost 80 years old. Oh yeah. He's I was still, wondering. He is still at this business and he comes to work every single day. And that really says, uh, it says everything about him as a uh, business owner. I, I, I have nothing but respect for him as a business owner, you know, so because he doesn't have to be here and he doesn't have to be caring about this place. So, hey, you know, if I take anything from anybody, I guess I'll have to take that from him. Mm-hmm. And you're, uh, you know, before I, I know you have to get out of here, but, um, you know, at, at the very beginning, you were talking about how your role as plant manager, um, you you don't see your role changing into uh change you know you you see this as as like the right fit for you working working on the shop floor unless i find unless i find people that i really have that much faith in out on the shop floor but it will take a lot because like i said i mean i'm uh out on the shop floor, what happens on the shop floor daily determines how profitable a company is. You know, you've got two aspects. Are your jobs running and how much money you spend in those two? Mm-hmm. I feel pretty confident about, about my cousin up there in the office. I think he does a great job in the sales department. Um, and I'm there to assist him, you know, with any, uh, Oh, he'll come to me, you know, with a job. Hey, oh, what do you think about this right. job? It sounds like you're very integrated, you know, in into the whole business aspect of it, which which I'm sure helps a lot. We work together here. Um, you know, he's got he's doing you know his share of uh, tough stuff up there. You know, he's the guy that's got to tell the customer, no, we aren't going to take your crap. <laughs> You know, I'm the guy out here saying, hey, you know, we, you better watch it on this job. This job's got the potential to hurt our business. So, you know, and we we work together pretty good. I'm glad I don't have to work up there. I really I like working with the people. And um, like I said, I feel like I'm just one of them, you know. Well, I'm sure that, that earns you respect from them. Oh, yeah, cer- certainly I I, I, I think it, it definitely doesn't hurt, especially, you know, you, you get somebody newer, or maybe they don't know you that well, and they're struggling on something and they don't know you well. And while well, you come over there and you help them and you straighten out their machine and you show them what they got to do. And all of a sudden they're kind of surprised. Had a few people say uh, to me over the years, you know, I, I never worked with a supervisor like you that could just walk right up to a screw machine and take care of the problem. <laughs> said well that this is where the you know this is a part of the company where the money is made and um you have to take it seriously i would love to sometimes i'd like to be in the office nice and cool in the summer not yeah. sweat you know and with oil and but uh it's where i have to be for this business and i know that that's where i have to be and uh this there is no other choice thank you so much wes Thank you.